Hey, welcome to the Coach Bono's podcast from the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. We're recorded live at the undisclosed location of the O'Connor Advisory Group Studios. You can check out all things O'Connor Advisory Group at OAGKS.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Bono's Show. Check out the Facebook page. You can just search Coach Bono's Show. You can find us there. Uh, you can also email us at Show at gmail.com. Hey, this is episode 15, and usually I have a guest on. This week, you're getting solo, Bo. Uh, I'm going to be here by myself today. What I decided this week was to, uh, go no, to go no guest and just go solo. I want to talk about some interesting things happening in sports. We are in interesting times. Um, as I am recording this, it is Sunday night. It's about 9.30 Central Time. And I'm at the undisclosed location of the O'Connor Advisor Group Studios. And I've got the uh, Chiefs-Broncos game on. All the other Sunday football action has happened. Uh, don't worry, Chiefs fans. Look, you've got this one at 13-3 here at the end of the third quarter. Uh, look, you're going to lock this away. Um, but, hey, what I want to talk about is we've got the college football playoff. They just announced this morning here on Sunday, you know, the final four, and we're going to have a playoff. Uh, the bowl games got announced. I'm going to talk about some interesting bowl games. And then kind of where I see some things going with college football as far as an expanded playoff. Uh, there's been a lot of talk throughout the season about the expanded playoff. And I'm not sure that's going to happen to me initially. And I'm going to explain why here in a minute and why I think it's a little bit to do with the situation where we're at. Um, after that, we're going to get geek out a little bit. Um, I know if you were listening to the Point Five pod uh, Ellen Wingender and I, uh, Token Girl, we talked about the MLB lockout, and we kind of got cut off. We were just running short on time. I've got a little deeper into that, and so I wanted to go full-on sports nerd on that, and I've got some stuff I want to talk about on that. And then if you hang out to the end of the show, you're going to hear my open letter to NBC Sports. So stay around for that as well. While I've got you here, did you know that December is a great time to look at your finances? Coach Bo, are you kidding me? No, it is. It really is. So look, if you're thinking about it next year, you're thinking, hey, you know what? In 2022, that's going to be my year. I'm going to get my money right, and I'm going to do all these things. Look, you know who to turn to. If you need retirement planning, if you need help with your insurance, give me a call. Give us a call, oagks.com. Go to O'Connor Advisor Group. Check it out. You can hit the Contact Us form right there. Type in what you're looking for, what you might need help with. And how about a free sit down with me? I'll sit down and chat with you. Those, those notes come straight to me. I'd love to chat with you. If you're looking at things like retirement planning, you're thinking about retiring, you haven't even gotten started planning yet, and you go, holy shit, what do I do? If you have life insurance, do you have disability insurance? I mean, what happens if you get sick or hurt? I mean, those are the kind of things we can talk to you about. And here's the secret that no one really tells you. Come January, everyone's starting to think about it. It becomes the new year and the new me. And you know what happens? We get busy. But right now, we're in December. It's a little bit slow. And it's the perfect time for, for us to get with you, talk to you with what your needs are, really dig in deep and help you out. So if you've got the time, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, the best way you can support this podcast, other than rating and reviewing us and giving us five stars, is by giving us a shot at O'Connor Advisory Group and giving us a call. So we appreciate that. Now we're going to get into it here. The college football playoff just came out. It's uh, again it's the evening time, and the football playoff came out this morning. The uh, last rankings: number one, Alabama, after the upset in 
really just kind of tearing Georgia apart. I didn't see that coming. Georgia has outplayed everybody all season, and Bama just took it to them from the beginning. Georgia got up 10, and then from there, it seemed like there was two different teams playing the rest of the game. Uh, but Alabama is number one. Number two is Michigan after just dismantling Iowa, which comes of no surprise to me. If you listen to the Tyler Jones podcast, the Jones Report, you'll know I predicted that I thought that Michigan would just destroy Iowa, and they did everything I thought they would do in that game. Number three is Georgia, the previous number one. They've been dominant all season long, and now here they are at number three after a loss in the SEC championship game. And then number four, Cincinnati. The one non-power five conference team to get into a playoff. Cincinnati ran the table. They got in. I'm really happy for Cincinnati and their coach, Luke Fickle. I'm just I'm happy as can be for him because that program has done everything asked of them. They won their conference. They won their conference championship. A lot of those non-power five conference teams are told, well, go schedule somebody. Cincinnati did just that. They scheduled a game with Notre Dame. They went to Notre Dame, and they beat Notre Dame. So mission accomplished. Cincinnati gets to get into the top to the top four here, gets into the playoff. They get rewarded with the game with Alabama. I'm not going to sit here and think that Cincinnati's going to have a real big shot. I mean, they have an outside chance of beating Alabama. The first uh, early point spread I've seen is Bama is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm not sure that that's really going to be accurate. I think it'll be closer than that. But uh, Cincinnati will put some points up. And Bama is, it seems that they're spotty offensively as far as when they have the big outbreaks of game. They just had a big outbreak against Georgia. But go back to the game against Auburn. They didn't play very well. They didn't play particularly well about a month ago against LSU. There's been a couple of games where they really haven't played up to their potential, but they keep winning, and they have Nick Saban. He's the, he, he's the real GOAT, and they're going to do their thing. I do think Alabama will win that game. Then we've got Georgia and, and Michigan. It looks like, from what I'm seeing so far, the point spreads, Georgia is coming out strong as an eight-point favorite. Not too surprising. Michigan has the big win against Ohio State. That's really their signature win of the season. And other than that, they really haven't had, um, they didn't play any team that was really an impressive opponent. I mean, you can argue they won the Big Ten championship game by 100 points or how many they did win it by, I think it was 35, 35 plus or 38 against Iowa. But I've said all these, I thought Iowa was pretty bad. And I really thought that the Big Ten was kind of eating up on itself in that, we had these teams, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan State, um, who were just teams, Penn State as well, who were just teams. Their names, they've been traditionally pretty good, but they're not great. And they didn't play anybody in the non-con. People thought that you know Indiana would be better, Illinois would be better, that they really haven't been. And it looks like uh, those teams like Michigan, Michigan State feasted on that. Ohio State as well. Michigan's biggest win against Ohio State, which I guess gets them up to number two, but really it has to do more with the way the timing worked with Georgia's loss. I like Georgia in this game. I think they'll cover eight points. I don't think Michigan's going to be able to run. Um, what I was least impressed with with Michigan watching them this week and a couple times I've watched them is their quarterback play. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't like to criticize individual college football players. They're not professionals, so I'm not going to call anybody out by name. Um, but I just didn't think that I saw a lot of 
high-powered offense potential from Michigan. What Michigan has to do for the big plays and the chunk plays is some gimmicks, like that little halfback pass they ran early in the game on Saturday night. Uh, but they're going to run the ball at you. You're going to have to play defense, but Georgia can play defense. So I think that's going to be the better of the two games. Uh, but I do like Georgia in that game. And then Bama and Georgia, we're thinking, is the national championship game. Um, I have some thoughts here. I'm going to hold off my prediction for a few days. I will talk about it probably on the point five or even maybe next week's podcast. But uh, I'm not going to give out my prediction on that just yet. Um, what I did want to talk about, though, is what the playoff committee did. I've thought this committee's done a horrible job all season. I'll be really blunt. Um when we did here at Studio Soapbox, we did our top four. We ranked them. Uh, they came out yes, they came out this morning. We had the top four similar, but not exact. We had Alabama at one, Cincinnati at two, Georgia and Michigan at four. Uh, to be perfectly frank, I had Cincinnati at number one. Um, I put Cincinnati at number one. They are the last team standing undefeated. To me, that means something. They played their schedule. They won their championship game. And to be honest, they played a tougher championship game opponent than Michigan did. Uh, they played a tougher championship opponent than anybody except for Alabama and Georgia. Um, Houston's not a team to be loved to be slept on. You don't believe me. Watch what they're going to do in, the, in their bowl game. So that's uh, some of my thoughts there. I think Cincinnati's been grossly misunder, uh, misunderrated here the whole time. And I think it's a little bit of a crime that they're at four. Um, what I was thinking was going to happen was I thought we would see, um, I thought we would see Alabama at one. I thought we'd see Georgia at two, or Michigan at two. Georgia. I thought we'd see this kind of the same mix. But what I really think we were going to see was, I didn't think I thought there was a chance that Michigan would go one, so they could have the Georgia. Um, the, the Georgia and Alabama uh, rematch immediately as opposed to being the possible national championship game. Because in theory, you would have a Michigan versus an SEC team, you know, there on the, uh, the biggest stage. I think a lot of people are going to get turned off by the two SEC teams in the championship game. So I, I don't know. The playoff committee kind of had to weigh those things. I think that's part of the thing they weighed. I mean, they thought, well, let's see what happens. And it's better to put that off than to let it happen. So kind of my thoughts on college, on the college football playoff. I, I think we're going to see an all-SEC championship game again. I'm not going to give you my pick on that. But that's where I think it's going to be. Um, I want to talk about expansion. There has been some talk about uh, expanding the playoff to either 8 or 12 teams. And that's kind of cooled off I'm seeing in the last two weeks. Uh, there was a big article on ESPN just recently about that. And when you see that, what you'll see is um, it's because there's no question of who those first four are. I mean, five, six, seven, eight, go on down. There's no real question. Notre Dame was five. Um, after that, you had Oklahoma State. You had uh, Oregon back there. But... Not a lot of questions to who the next few. Not a lot of controversy in that fourth spot. So I don't know. I think that's part of it. The other thing I think is what we've got is we've got a really good January 1st bowl game lineup. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, I'm an older guy in my 40s, and back in the day when you had the college football playoff, before the playoff, before the BCS, 
He just had bowl games. And January 1 was kind of like New, New Year's Day. was like Christmas for college football fans. You had you know, the early games. You had the 3 o'clock game, which was you know, highlighted by the Rose Bowl. And you had the night game, which is usually the Fiesta Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. And you had those games. And they were all the top teams. And they tried their best to put ones versus twos. But you always had the Big Ten champion against the Pac-10 champion you know, back in the day. Stuff like that. This year, we've got some really great shit on January 1st. Um, early game, noon, noon, the Outback Bowl, Penn State and Arkansas. That's going to be a solid game. I mean, those are two good teams. I really like Arkansas. I think Arkansas, we're going to see if Arkansas really has been for real this year. They've been really solid. And uh, them and Penn State will be great. The Citrus Bowl, this is kind of one of those games, I I haven't been big on Iowa, but if, we, if people think Iowa's good, then they should handle Kentucky. I don't think they're going to. I think people are going to realize how good Kentucky is and how good a season that is. And then it's going to lead us into the three later games that are the best games. The Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State, you know, they crapped out. They didn't beat. They didn't. They lost. I feel so bad for that running back. Uh, if you don't know, Oklahoma State lost to Baylor. They would have been that fifth, that fourth team, or that team that could have had an argument to get into that top four. And the last play of the game, their running back comes up short. I mean, inches short of the pylon. Oh, just a super, super effort. Um it, I, unbelievable, and I just think that I, my heart bleeds for Oklahoma State, especially for that young man. They get rewarded by going to the Fiesta Bowl to play Notre Dame. Now, this is a message to all the Oklahoma State people, to the players, and to the team. You have a job. Oklahoma State Cowboys, you do have a job. Your job is to kick Notre Dame's ass, to put it on them, to beat them while they are down. Notre Dame just lost their coach. They came oh so close to getting in the playoffs, undeservedly if you ask me, and they, they beat nobody. And now they're going to get Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, please go to the Fiesta Bowl, take it seriously, and beat the hell out of Notre Dame. The game that I'm looking forward to, though, is at night. This is going to be a good one. This is going to be a really good game. Baylor and Old Miss. Now, if you want to argue who could have been the fourth team if you weren't going to give Cincinnati the love or didn't want to have two SEC teams, I'll hear the Baylor argument because they're playing well. Dave Aranda's done a hell of a job there. And Baylor and Old Miss is going to be something to see. Uh, Baylor, you've got these, these – you watch the dichotomy of these two coaches. You couldn't see two polar opposite styles of – being a coach and being a man, and just being someone on the sideline. Dave Aranda, the Baylor coach, uh, those of us who are like myself, who are LSU guys, know him as he was a defensive coordinator at LSU for a long time, very kind of stoic, very just down the road. This is how it is, and he's done a hell of a job at Baylor. Um, across the way, you got Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin is the trash-talking, um, just – I don't even know how else to put it. Just, he's just the ultimate trash-talking head coach at Old Miss. They run a high-powered offense. Baylor plays defense. This is going to be two opposite styles, and I'm going to be really interested to see how this game comes out. Um, for me, I, I really don't know who I'm going to pick in this game yet. I, I think Old Miss might be able to go out there and score a bunch of points, but I think Baylor might be able to hold them back too. You just never know. Um, and it's going to be interesting to me. So that's our January 1. I, 
as much as I think college football playoff, the committee did some some bad things during the season, they got it right in the end. They got the right four teams. I did kind of peruse the rest of the bowls and um, was trying to look for some other bowl games for you guys to check out when we get there. Now, as we're getting, as we're recording this, it's the fifth. We've got about two, about 12 days to the first bowl game. And for those people that don't know, the reason there's so many bowl games is one, they want to get money. They got, everybody's got to get their money. They got to have some, ESPN's got to have content. And they love college football games and they love, and then, of course, we have all the gambling sites, all the gambling apps and everything else. And we got to have something to do during the holidays. So we'll be having bowl games. All week, we have the weekend, the 17th, the 18th, and then every night of the week starting on the 20th. A couple that jumped off the page at me, though. The Tuesday, the 28th, the Birmingham Bowl. I'm not using the names of these sponsors, uh, unless I like the sponsor. I don't know anything about who Ticket Smarter is. So the Birmingham Bowl, Houston and Auburn. Um, Y'all, don't sleep on Houston. Houston's good. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll look out. Houston-Auburn is going to be a sneaky good game. Uh, the Holiday Bowl, this is the one that's in San Diego. They've got a big, long name. I'm not going to call it out either. Uh, UCLA and NC State. This is going to be an interesting one as well, I think. NC State's had a really under-the-radar solid year. They've been really good uh, in the ACC. They, they, you know, they've beaten Clay Clemson earlier in the year. They've played some great games. And UCLA under Chip Kelly is starting to see the light, and they're starting to get better and better. I think that'll be an interesting matchup here in San Diego. Uh, three others I'm going to look at real quick. <sighs> I hate sponsor names, but this one's actually called the Cheez-It Bowl. The Cheez-It Bowl. Clemson and Iowa State. Now, I like this for two reasons. One, because my man Tyler Jones, he is just a Dabo Sweeney mark, and I hate Clemson. But I do think, and I just think that Dabo's very overrated. Uh, Clemson is going to play Iowa State here. Now, this is more about to me about Iowa State. This is to me to say, okay, is Iowa State really ready to be the flag bearer for the new Big 12? With Oklahoma and Texas leaving, there's now an opportunity for someone to be the flag waver, someone to be... The what Oklahoma has been, what Alabama is in the SEC, to be that top-notch team. And I think a game like Iowa State beating Clemson would be a great message for the Iowa State program to say, hey, we want a piece of that action. I think we're going to see, as the, as the Big 12 moves on, when Oklahoma and Texas leave, we're going to see, is it going to be Iowa State? Is it going to be Oklahoma State? Is it going to be Baylor? Is it going to be Kansas State? One of these teams is going to want to step up. Is it going to be Houston? Houston comes in. So, again, I think it's a great way of seeing what's going to happen here. All the coaching carousel stuff aside, I think that the Alamo Bowl also looks like a really good one. It's on the same day. It's on the 29th as well. Oregon and Oklahoma. This is a game about a month and a half ago. We wanted to see. We talked about this in the Jones Report. I really wanted to see this about a month and a half ago. Um, Oregon was playing well. They had the big win early in the year against Ohio State. Oklahoma has played horrible at times. They play down to their competition or up to their competition, depending on who they play. 
And now you don't have, um, well, I guess Bob Stoops will be coaching this game. So I'll find that interesting. I want to watch that one. The last one I got, and this one's personal, um, you know, between the January 1 games and the championship game on the 10th, we're going to get a cookie. We're going to get a cookie on Tuesday, January the 4th, the Texas Bowl in Houston, LSU versus Kansas State. They might as well call this the O'Connor Bowl. Uh, this is ridiculous. This might cause me to get a divorce. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I went to Kansas State for three years. Um, I'm from Louisiana, and I am a diehard LSU guy. My wife is a K-State grad. Her whole family are K-Staters. I talked to our son this evening, and I said, okay, you've got to make a decision. Are you going K-State or LSU? Are you going with me or are you going with her? And he's not sure. And I said, look, join the dark side. I'm going 100% with LSU here. But look. LSU's going to have an interim coach for this game. Um, uh, Brian Kelly's not going to coach this game. That has more to do with a lot of the, this team's senior laden. They're going to have all these seniors playing, and they're not really the future of the program. So it's good to have the interim staff. A lot of the guys who are holdovers from Ed Ogeron's staff will coach that game. And, and I hope that they do well, and I hope they win that game. Uh, but that lines up to where it could be really good for Kansas State. Uh, their staff could come in. It's a great way of getting some consistency in their program. And if they could beat LSU, what kind of confidence does that give Kansas State going into the next season? So, again, Kansas State and Iowa State, they've got big games against big-name teams. You know, the two teams that played for a championship in early 2020. So think about that. And, and it's a great opportunity. If you're a Big 12 fan, you need to be rooting really hard for those two teams, Iowa State, Kansas State, those two games. Personally, I'll be rooting for uh, LSU. and Oh, I just hope my wife doesn't leave me over that one. <laughs> All kidding aside, Jim, they've already talked about it. Love you, baby. So, um, hey, there's my, some of my thoughts on bowl games, the college football playoff. We're going to talk a lot more about these games coming up, especially if you listen to the Jones Report here on the Studio Soapbox Network. Tyler Jones and I, and I will certainly be talking about it on my segment there. Uh, I may even have Tyler come on my show, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about it here on the Point Five, and then certainly next week as well before the games all get started. So uh, let's enjoy these bowl games and where we're at for this season. Uh, so again, college football, kind of a wrap-up for there. I'm going to do something a little different here. This is something that I normally don't do. You know, we try to keep things kind of lighthearted. We try to have some fun. And on the point five, if you, if you listen to the point five, uh, Token Girl, Ellen Wingenter, and I, we have some fun with some of the some different stuff, and a lot of our personalities come out. This is going to be a side of Coach Bo you probably haven't seen yet. I am a sports nerd. And what I mean by that is... There's a side to sports that, a, that a, I enjoy and really kind of mark out to in a way. And I love the sports business stuff. I'm an avid listener to Andrew Brandt's podcast, The Business of Sports. I read the Sports Business Journal. These are all just things that, again, I'm just kind of a nerd about and I really, really enjoy. And I think it's things that uh, it appeals to me. Having said that, we are in a sports nerd's paradise in that Major League Baseball has a lockout. Now, if you listen to last week's point five, 
We touched on it briefly. Uh, Token Girl and I talked about what's going on. As of the 1st of December, Major League Baseball owners have locked out the players, which means that there is no winter meetings for the general managers. There's no there's a halt to all signings, all workouts, anything team-related. It's all stopped for now. Um, in short, there is no collective bargaining agreement now. We have a union, the Major League Baseball Players Association, and the ownership, who was led by the commissioner, Rob Manford. Now, in this, they're now trying to come up with a new collective bargaining agreement. And there are some points here that they just have big, large disagreements on. And this is more than just what's on the field. It's very actually very little of what's on the field. Um, you know, you, we're going to hear things about, is there going to be an expanded playoff? Um, will there be a universal DH? Those are not the main arguing points. They're not even really considerations and negotiating points at this point. I know the players, for instance, would love to have a universal DH, and the owners would like to have an expanded playoff. But that is not what they're arguing about. The collective bargaining agreement, which was originally set up in 2015 and now is just ended, has everything to do with what's called the competitive balance tax. And with that, the competitive balance draft picks rules. So bear with me. And if you don't like this, you can hit fast forward to the end. But I'm going to nerd out here a little bit. For those of you that don't know, most leagues, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, they have a salary cap. That means that no team can spend over a certain amount of money. But everybody has to spend a minimum amount of money. For instance, in the NFL, they have a hard cap. You cannot go over that cap. But you must spend up to a certain amount, and if you don't, you get penalized. The Jacksonville Jaguars just came very close to that this past offseason and had to go overpay for some players just so they can get up under that minimum uh, amount. Baseball doesn't do that. Instead, baseball have what's called, has what's called a competitive balance tax. You'll hear it referred to as the luxury tax. What this is, is it takes the 40-man roster. Now, Major League Baseball, I'm going to break this down in small bites for you guys. Major League Baseball has two rosters, a 40-man roster. This is the players who are the 40 players on their roster. And this is not just all players on the Major League roster. Many times this is like their first-round picks, uh, players they have hidden in AAA, those kind of things. You can be on the 40-man roster but not be on the Major League team because the Major League team only carries 26 players. Now, the luxury tax, the competitive balance tax, is based on all spending that a team does from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, from day one to game 162, on the 40-man roster. Now, there is also a 26-man roster. This is the active roster, if you will. Now, this 26-man roster, again, is the active players, the players who are actually in the dugout day in, day out. Those change during the year. You get a player who's hurt, they go, they're they're off the 26-man roster on the I on the injured list. 
You have another player come in off the 40-man list and vice versa. Now, again, the 40-man list is, again, what the competitive balance tax is all about. However, there is a thing called service time. This is what the player's number one piece is. Service time is how long is a player on the 26-man roster. A player must be on the 26-man roster for 172 days. If they're on that roster for 172 days, that counts as a year toward their service time. Why is that important, you ask me? Because if you are a Major League Baseball player and you have three years of service time, you are then eligible to have arbitration. You're you're still with the organization. Um, You and the team then go to a third party or arbiter if you don't agree on your salary and those players go to that third party and they say, okay, how much money do you get? They can do that from years three to six. Once a player reaches their sixth year, after the completion of that season, they become a free agent. Now, why is that important, you may ask? Well, Major League Baseball has decided they don't want to spend money. And they're trying to, many teams are trying their best to save money however they can. And sometimes they do it at the cost of actually winning games. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Three seasons ago, 2019, a young man you may have heard of named Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was ready to play Major League Baseball. He was dominating the minor leagues. He was the number one prospect. However, everyone in spring training, he was dominating. He was hitting over 400 in spring training. Everyone said, this kid's ready. Bring him up. The Blue Jays had the spot for him to play. The season starts, and he's sent down to AAA. He was then brought up, guess which day? The day equal to what would have been under 172 days on the roster for the rest of the season. The Royals are going to do this with Bobby Witt Jr. in 2022. If the agreement stays the same, it won't. But this is what the Royals could have done with Bobby Witt Jr., uh, who is their number one prospect. And we're seeing this across the board. The, the first example of this was in 2015 with the Cubs with Chris Bryant. These are usually your best players. And you're saying, we can't bring our best player up to the Major League roster yet on opening day. Instead, we're going to wait till July. Because we don't want that player on our roster for 127 days because it counts as a year of service time. And teams want to pay that player as little as humanly possible. Just like every business wants to pay their labor as little as possible. So it's like buying an extra year. We've seen this with Chris Bryant. We saw it with Alex Bregman. We've seen it now with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Every organization's done it. Even the Yankees, even the Red Sox, even the Mets, even the Cubs, the teams who are the bigger spenders, they've all done it. And they're all going to continue to do it. The Dodgers just did it with Gavin Lux this past season. These are when you take your best prospect and we're going to do it this way because we have to save the year of service time. This is the number one thing the players are trying to fight. The players have come in and they said, hey, what we want is we want to reduce the uh, service time 
to where instead of being eligible for arbitration years three through six, we'll keep the 172 rule, but we want it to be years two through five. Now, there's some positives as a player. There's some negatives as a player on that. Um, as a player, the positive is your best players are going to get to the field. Your Vlad Guerrero Jr., your Chris Bryant's, uh, these guys, they're going to get to the field. They're also going to get to free agency quicker, which could be a bigger paycheck. Now, as a team, you don't want to lose that player, you know, in five years or six years as it is now. So you have this rule in place and you abuse it. So there's where we've seen some different things. And that's one of the big issues that they're fighting about right now. What we've also seen is this competitive balance has created a situation where what they also have in the competitive balance tax is attached to it called the competitive balance draft picks. So this is a silly rule that Major League Baseball has come under. We all hear about, especially if you live here in the Kansas City area, and I live in Lawrence, Kansas, for those who are outside of the area and don't know us, but uh, here we, we hear all the time about how the Royals, for example, are a small market team. You know, there's other small market teams, teams like Oakland and Tampa, Milwaukee, um, the Orioles. These are all, they're, they're called small market teams. They're actually defined by Major League Baseball as small market teams. Now, with the competitive balance draft picks, the Major League Baseball is going to give extra draft picks in compensation to the 10 smallest markets every year. They're either a first or after the first round, first round pick, or after the second round. It depends on how many years you've gotten in a row. I'm going to give you an example. We're going to use 2021 as an example. The smallest markets, this is from smallest to the 10th smallest, in 2021 are the Kansas City Royals are the smallest, the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Milwaukee Brewers, San Diego Padres, Cincinnati Reds, Baltimore Orioles, Seattle Mariners, Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Cleveland Guardians, formerly known as something else. Now, my question here is, we've got this situation, and we've got this, uh, these, these small teams, they're getting extra draft picks just because they're small markets, because they want to keep a competitive balance. But now, Major League Baseball is also incentivized. They've added to the 10 lowest revenue teams, there's now a category called the 10, I'm sorry, the 10 smallest markets. There's a 10 lowest revenue teams. That doesn't mean they do the 10 smallest cities or the 10 smallest markets. It's who brought in the least amount of money. I'm going to give you these 10 teams. Kansas City, Oakland, Tampa, Baltimore, Seattle, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Miami, Detroit, Arizona Diamondbacks. Seven of those teams are the smallest market. Three are not. We already know who those 10 lowest revenue clubs are as of right now for 2022. I'll name those off. Kansas City, Oakland, Baltimore, Seattle, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Miami, Colorado, and Minnesota. Now, the Kansas City Royals, the Oakland A's, the 
Baltimore Orioles, the Mariners, and the Pirates land on all three lists, those five teams. Those five teams are not incentivized. They're being incentivized to not even try to win. I'll repeat those names. The Kansas City Royals, the Oakland A's, the Baltimore Orioles, the Seattle Mariners, the Pittsburgh Pirates. What do they all have in common? They're not even trying. They're being incentivized by Major League Baseball in giving them extra compensation in draft picks to not try, to not try to win. What do you want as a fan? You want your team to win. What we've got now is we have owners who are not all trying to win. We know what five are the worst case scenarios. We know what 10 are the worst in 2021 and are probably the worst in 2022. You can predict these teams are going to be bad. The only one of these teams to reach the playoffs last couple of years, two, the Rays, the Brewers. Now, the Rays, I would say the exception to the rule, and if they're actually trying, they're just doing it differently than everybody else. So the compensation as far as the levels of what Major League Baseball is doing for small market teams, and I'm not going to call them small market teams anymore. On this podcast, they're not going to be called small market teams anymore. They're going to be called cheap teams. They're the cheap teams. You know why? Because you're not trying. I don't want to hear any more about it. The cheap teams are being compensated. Now, here's how those are being compensated. If you don't spend money, if you're not, we're going to go back to the competitive balance tax now. The competitive balance tax is currently $210 million. That's what it was in 2021. There isn't one for 2022 because they don't have the state line collective bargaining agreement. But what this says, this competitive balance tax, this acts as the salary cap. It says if a team spends more than the competitive balance tax number. So, for instance, in 2021, that number was uh, $210 million. If you spent over that amount, you were taxed by Major League Baseball. In 2021, three teams paid the tax. Okay? The Los Angeles Dodgers, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Boston Red Sox. Now, together, those three teams, the way this system works is if you go over to $210 million, you can spend as much as you want. The Dodgers, uh, last year, in 2021, to give you an idea, spent $258 million on their roster which was $48 million over the luxury tax space. Now, the way this works is the first time a team goes over, they pay a 20% tax on every dollar of salary on the 40-man roster above the 210. So if they do it a consecutive year, a second consecutive year, your 20% is now going to the 30%. If you go three or more consecutive years, your tax is up to 50%. Now, the team that dropped out of that tax in 2021, and that was the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees decided they were not going to do anything about that was going to put them over $210 million. 
The San Diego Padres did the same thing. The Houston Astros. Here's what I'm going to show you. These three numbers, I'm getting this information right off of spotdrack.com. The Houston Astros spent $209,379,000 on luxury tax on their payroll last year. They were $600,000 under. The New York Yankees, $208.9 million, $1.1 million under. San Diego Padres, who decided they want to spend some money. They don't want to be a cheap team anymore. Even though they're one of the 10 smallest markets, they're proving you can play ball and you can make money and you can try to be good. They went and spent $208 million. They were under by $1.7 million. Why did the Yankees do it? The Yankees did it because they had been consecutively more than three years and they were paying that 50% tax. Now they can go back over in 2022 if they want, if the system works out to be the same this year. So what happens to that luxury tax money, you may ask? Guess where that money goes? It's given to the teams who do not go over the threshold. It's split equally. Teams to not spend money are being incentivized by the teams that spend money. We are in a situation in a place now where we are seeing socialism in sports. Let's just call it that. I mean, that's what it is. We're going to let the big market teams carry the small market teams. This is what I mean by that. The Baltimore Orioles last year spent $60,171,000 on salary on their 40-man roster for the entire season. That is one-third what the St. Louis Cardinals spent, and they're the ninth-ranked team. Nine teams spent three times as much as the lowest team. Now, don't think that's a, 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 a... I didn't pull that one out on my own. Cleveland is only $2 million ahead of Baltimore. And Pittsburgh was only $5 million ahead of Baltimore. The bottom three together spent $185 million, and eight teams spent more than that. The ninth team, the Cardinals, only spent a million and a half less than three than what the bottom three spent combined. So again, we on this podcast will not refer to small market teams and small market teams anymore. They are cheap teams. Plain and simple. Here's what's going to happen. Major League Baseball owners and the Players Association are going to get into it. This is going to go out further. Right now, the commissioner is saying, well, fans know the difference between there being a issue or a, um, a, a lockout and there being a strike during the season. Folks, this is going to go into the season. It's going to go into the season, and it's going to delay the beginning of the season, and all you're going to hear is that it's the greedy player's fault. It's the greedy player's fault. We're going to hear that over and over again. And when you hear this, I want you to keep these things in mind. The current CBA that just expired was put together in 2015. Since 2015, the Major League Baseball average salary, since 2017 actually on this number, has decreased 
by 6.4% That's as of the end of the year 2021. And the median salary, the middle, is decreased by 30%. Now, we all hear the flashy stories. Max Scherzer just signed for three years at $43 million a year. And that's amazingly high. But how many players are getting so much less than that? Max Scherzer is actually one of the players on the executive committee for the Players Association. And he's hot about this. Now, granted, he's personally making a lot of money in this. But I'm going to give you a quote from Max Scherzer. Again, same Max Scherzer who's making $43 million a year says, I quote, this is from The Athletic, unless this CBA completely addresses the competition issues and the younger players getting paid, that's the only way I'm going to put my name on it. The owners are going to lose. They're going to blame the greedy players. And what's actually going to happen is they're going to get sentiment behind them because the greedy players, we see the flashy number at the top. Mike Trout's contract, Max Scherzer's contract. But what you don't see is when these teams are telling players, no, 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 you get to play in the minors for another year so we can get another better year of money out of you. We want to delay you becoming a free agent for this many years for this. Major League Baseball has come back, and this is what they've offered so far. They want to keep the, 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 uh, the competitive balance tax, the CBT. They want to drop the tax number from 210 to 180. And they have proposed a $100 million floor. Now, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Okay? Now, to give you an example, again, 2021 numbers, that would mean nine teams would have paid the luxury tax. Nine teams. Those are the Cardinals, the Mets, the Angels, the Padres, the Yankees, the Astros, the Red Sox, the Phillies, and the Dodgers. If you go, though, to $100 million as a minimum, you only have five teams. The Rays, the Mar Miami Marlins, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Baltimore. Now, again, we got the extreme example. Baltimore is going to have to go from 60 to 100. Cleveland's going to go from 62 to 100. The bottom of those was the Rays. They're going to go from 88 to 100. But then everyone else is covered. So here's where the biggest problem the owners have is. The owners are not all on the same page. The players are. We've already seen the highest paid players in the league are saying, hey, this is about the young guys. This is about them getting paid. The owners are trying to figure out a way to squeeze down salaries so that they can all make money. And what is happening is the teams in the middle, the teams at the bottom, are trying to stop the Dodgers and the Phillies and the Astros and the Yankees and the Mets from spending a bunch of money. They're trying to stop them because there's a competitive imbalance. Right now, if those numbers were to hold safe, hold safe the 100 versus, two, versus 180, I'm looking at 2022's numbers. You actually have seven teams that would have to raise their salaries up. 
This is ridiculous. The Pittsburgh Pirates, as of right now, as we speak, have only $48 million in 40-man payroll for 2022. The Kansas City Royals are seventh, up under that $100 million at $95 million. But if you go to the 180, the number that the, the being again being proposed by the owners, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight teams are above that number. Guess who those teams are? The Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Padres, the White Sox, the Astros, the Angels. Outside of the Angels, what do those teams have in common? They're trying to win. They're trying to win. If you go back and you think about it, for those of you who are Major League Baseball fans, every year around the end of July, you have the trade deadline, August the 1st, and teams are usually hustling, trying to make trades, and this and that. But did you notice this past year that some teams sat out? You know, the Yankees made a couple trades early in July, but they stayed out at the deadline. The Red Sox stayed out at the deadline. The Phillies stayed out at the deadline. The Padres, and they all got crushed. I mean, they absolutely got crushed about it. In, 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 they were, in you, were, you were watching ESPN, or you are watching any baseball tonight or anything. They were getting crushed on Twitter for not improving their team on the field. They don't want to pay this money to the small market teams. The San Diego Padres are a small market team. They're the fifth smallest the smallest market in Major League Baseball. But they're spending money, and you know what's happened? Their revenues have gone up. Their team is having success on the field, and their club is making money. It's like any business. You have to spend money to make money. In Major League Baseball, how do you do that? You, you spend money on players. So I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for the Kansas City Royals. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for the Oakland A's. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles are doing the same thing that other teams have done to like the Cubs and to Chris Bryant and that the Blue Jays did to Vladimir Guerrero. They're doing it to a player right now. Ask Adley Rutschman. He should be in the major leagues right now, but he's not because they're holding him down. And they're going to do it again this coming season if, this, if the rules are still intact this way. And if you're a fan of a team, what do you want? You don't care if your owner's making money or not. What you really care about is if your team wins. If you're a Kansas City Royals fan, you were really happy in 2014 and 2015. That was an exciting time in the city. It was an exciting time here. And what did they do? They actually spent money. It was the one time the Glass family, when they were the owners, weren't cheap. What are the Oakland A's doing right now? The Oakland A's are trying to find a way to move to Las Vegas. They're already talking about trying to build a stadium on the Strip, where the Tropicana currently is. So I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for these, these, these teams. I'm not going to feel sorry for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are sitting in a stadium that was paid for by the municipality. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for the Baltimore Orioles who have Camden Yards, this beautiful stadium that their ownership didn't pay for. I'm not going to feel sorry for the Royals sitting in a newly remodeled Kauffman Stadium that they didn't pay for. 
Spend money and be a business. You want to be a business and make money? Well, don't try to be a socialist about it. That's what you're trying to do right now. You're saying, hey, we'll take the money from everybody else. Go out there and make your own money. Spend money on players. Make your team better on the field. You know what will happen? People will come to your games. People will turn on the radio. People will turn on the ball game on, on Fox Sports or Ballet Sports, wherever you find your Royals games, wherever you find your Oakland A's games. If you're winning, if you're trying to get better on the field, you will make money. It happens in all sports. Don't believe me? Look at the Los Angeles Clippers. Look at the San Diego Padres. Look at the Chicago White Sox. Major League Baseball has become a joke because two-thirds of the franchises are not even trying to win anymore. They're just trying to make money. And that's ridiculous. So I'm fully on board with the players here. I want to see the players get some fighting on this arbitration deal. Uh, I want to see them win that. Some of these young players can get paid. I want to see... Uh, owners are also trying to not share, have revenue sharing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, one giant piece to income for Major League Baseball and for teams individually is their TV contracts. And this is where you have these cheap teams. For instance, as we all have seen over the years, the, the New York Yankees have the Yes Network. And a lot of their games are on the Yes Network to get a lot of money. The Yankees actually own that. Um, and they make a lot of money from their television contract, hundreds of millions of dollars. And they don't have to share that revenue. Now, the contract that Major League Baseball has with Fox, with ESPN, with Turner, those games you see in the postseason, those games you see um, on the, uh, the All-Star game, the games you see on Saturday afternoon, Sunday night, the games on ESPN during the week, the FS1 games, that revenue is shared equally amongst 30 teams. So, of course, the owners now want an expanded playoff because that's more money they can share amongst the 30 of them and try to keep the welfare state, the Kansas City Royals, the Oakland A's, the Mariners, the Padres, the Orioles. I mean, let's call them what they are. They're the welfare teams. They're the cheap teams. And they want to keep the rest of the team just wants to keep them fat and a little bit happy, make them a little bit of money, and we'll just beat up on them all season long. And those teams are going to get that money. But they don't have good local contracts. But would the Kansas City Royals Bally sports contract look better if the Royals won games? Wouldn't you the watch wouldn't you watch more games? If the Pirates were last in TV ratings, imagine if they won. I mean, Pittsburgh loves the Steelers. They love the Pirates when the Pirates are good. Everybody loves their team locally when they're good. So it's a situation now where Major League Baseball has to figure this out. The owners are not on the same page. That's what's going to hurt them in the end. The owners are not on the same page. The players are. The players also have the strongest of unions as far as sports-related unions. I expect the players are going to hold out here. They're going to continue to be locked out. It's going to get spun that this is the greedy players 
that are that are the that are the problem here. And this has nothing to do with greedy players. It has to do with with welfare, cheap baseball teams who are trying to do anything they can to just make a, as little effort into making money as possible. And they don't give a shit about you as a fan. They don't give a shit if, you're, if they win. If they did, they'd be putting money out on players. But they're not doing that. I'm going to talk more about this as it goes on. I hope that these two sides come together. I don't have a lot of confidence in that at this point. But that's my rant on this. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope it was enlightening as to what's going on with Major League Baseball and um, in, in the lockout. Last couple things I want to talk about is the NFL, kind of what's going on here. As we've gone through that rant, the Chiefs have won their game. And uh, so now we know a little more about where we're at standings-wise. And the Chiefs just won 22-9. to um, I, I keep getting asked, we talked about this a lot on Tyler's podcast, are the Chiefs in a slump? You know, yeah, they've won five in a row now, which, I mean, they're now eight and four. I mean, they're a good team. But they haven't won it as sexy as they have the past couple of years, especially, you know, the last two years. And I think there's a lot of wonderment of, okay, well, what's going on? Where are these teams at right now? Um, I've got it up right now. This has just been updated. Right now, the AFC, your playoffs would be the number one seed right now going into tomorrow's game of the Patriots versus Bills. So if you're listening after Monday, this game still hasn't been played yet. Patriots will be the number one seed. I told everybody. I warned everybody. He plays chess while everybody else is playing checkers. The Titans, the Ravens, the Chiefs will be the fourth seed as of right now. Buffalo will be five. The Chargers, the Bengals are seven. So if you don't realize there are seven teams in the playoffs now, the number one seed gets the only bye. Two plays seven. Three plays six. Four plays five. The three winners will then uh, be seeded with the number one seed. The NFC right now, Cardinals, Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, Rams, the Washington football team, the San Francisco 49ers currently sit at 6-6 six and six and are the seventh team in the NFC. Going back to the Chiefs, do I think the Chiefs are in a slump? Yes and no. They're not as sexy as they were in 2020 or 2019, but that doesn't mean they're in a slump. So I'm kind of changing my opinion on this a little bit. I think what this is is that the league is just playing down. I think that we're seeing so much parity now. Um, one team in the NFL, 12, 12 games in, has two losses. That's the Arizona Cardinals, or 10-2. and two. We got two 9-3 teams, Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Bucks. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams at Eight and four. One of those teams is seven and four. It's Buffalo. And then we have teams that are seven and five. Two of them that would be in the playoffs right now. Uh, right now, the NFC, two, six, and six teams would be in. We have a 17-game schedule, which now, I mean, traditionally it has been 10 and six in the old 16 gets you into the playoffs. Um, I think it's going to take 11 games to, to for sure get into the playoffs now. You'll have to be 11 and six. I mean, if you get to 11 and 6, you're in. Um, 10 and 7 is probably going to get you in this year. But we're seeing parity like crazy. Um, the Bengals lost today to the Chargers. Right now, that's the difference between the Bengals being the 7 or the 6. Had they won that game, they would have actually gone up to the 3 because they have a tiebreaker on the Ravens and would have won the division. 
Uh, Buffalo is seven and four. Again, they beat the they beat the Patriots on Monday night. They move up to the number one seed, and the Patriots move down to the five seed. So I'm not sure that it's the Chiefs are are just not as good as we thought. I think it's just a lot of parity. The Chiefs have lost a couple of games they shouldn't have lost. They haven't played particularly well or dominant, if you will in some of these other games. They didn't play particularly dominant tonight. Um, as I looked up and as I looked at other games throughout the season, I mean, they I mean, they got away with a little something against the Cowboys. The Cowboys didn't run the football. I mean, all the Cowboys are doing would be good is run the football. Uh, if they do that, they'll beat just about anybody. Um, you know, the Packers did get, or the Chiefs did get a, the Packers earlier in the year with no Aaron Rodgers. That certainly helps. So those sort of things. Um, I think it's going to be interesting uh, it's going to come down to those last three or four weeks. So I think weeks 16, 17, and 18, when you figure the body, there's 18 weeks now. Those are going to be interesting. And there's going to be someone who drops out and someone who plays their way in. So it looks like now the Chiefs are going to put a little bit of distance between themselves and the Chargers and the Raiders especially now. They're two games up on the Raiders, a game ahead of the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers do have a one-heads-up win with the Chiefs. They'll play again in a few weeks. So that could be the thing the Chargers need to get back into it. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, right now, I was looking at it a little differently. I was looking at this right now and thinking, well, if I look at, major, at, at the NFL right now, I don't know if there is a dominant team. I think there's three teams that I think are just kind of better than everybody right now. Uh, maybe four. That's the Cardinals, the Packers, the Bucks, and I'll put the Patriots up there. I think the Patriots will beat the uh, the Bills on Monday night. Um, I think if you had to say, hey, here at this point, who is definitely going to be in? They will all definitely be in. Uh, I think the Titans will definitely get in just because their division's bad. I think they're, they're much better than the, the Colts. That's really their only threat. But in the NFC, the Cardinals, the Packers, the Bucks, I think they've just separated themselves from everybody else. The Cowboys, the Rams are kind of the next two. And those two could be as good as any of the other three, but just haven't been consistent. The Rams haven't been consistent offensively. And the Dallas Cowboys, I, it doesn't seem real difficult to me. When the Cowboys run the ball as many times as they throw the ball, they win the game, and they usually win pretty well in those games. Uh, I watched them on Thursday night against my New Orleans Saints, and even though that was – a dominant performance, they still don't want to run the football. It's like you got a great offensive line. You've got a great running back. They got Pollard is a heck of a of a third down guy and a guy to help spell Elliott. I don't understand what the Cowboys are doing that way. I I think Mike McCarthy's just gone nuts in those way he's calling what they're doing the play calling there. So um I think that's a team that it's a team that I wouldn't want to play on a particular day, but I also think you can just run over if they if you get them in a shooting match. So kind of, I think there's just no dominant team in that way. Um, in the AFC, I think the Patriots are the best team right now. I think they're playing the best. They have a five-game win streak, four-game win streak. Um, and then I think you got this kind of this group. The Chiefs could be the top of that group, but I'm not prepared to put them up there at the, the top yet. Um, the Titans, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Chargers, the Bengals. Um, I am putting the Bengals up there. That is not because just because of my love of Joe Burrow. It really has to do with they can get up there and score points when they want to if Burrow's kept upright. 
But what I was really impressed with the last couple of weeks is that they have a commitment to run the football. That commitment to football kind of lost in the game this week. They came out early and tried to run the ball. They had some issues. Um, but Joe Mixon's a beast. And if the offensive line keeps Joe Burrow up, the Bengals are going to be in the playoffs. Um, the Chargers and the Bills are kind of those two teams where I'm like, who are they? Which Chargers team are you this week? Are you the good Chargers team that beat the Chiefs? Or are you the bad Chargers team that lost a couple weeks ago to the Colts? Um, the Bills have got to get right, and they better get right quick because the Bills' roster might be the most talented roster in the NFL outside of the Rams and maybe the Bucks. But they're de- I think they're the best roster, 1-50, to 50, in the AFC. They're just not playing like it. And the problem now is the Patriots have caught them. And the Buffalo Bills have got to win Monday night against the Patriots, so they're in trouble. The Ravens are a one-man team right now. Um, y'all, Lamar Jackson is pretty freaking incredible. Uh, he's out there just kind of willing his team to wins right now. Uh, he's getting his, I mean, he's getting beat. He's getting his ass kicked all over the field. He's getting hit constantly. Um, I, I'm just more impressed with Lamar Jackson every single week. Um, I'm going to say this. This is not going to be the most popular thing. He's the MVP right now to me. He's the best player in the NFL right now. It's not Patrick Mahomes. It's Lamar Jackson. And yeah, you'll say, well, Mahomes' team, hey, they ain't nearly the team around Lamar Jackson. That's around Patrick Mahomes. So, um, yeah. That, if that team plays well around him, they're going to be tough to beat. And the Tennessee Titans, I would have them in the upper echelon. Derrick Henry Hatton, they got hurt. That team is a top team. They're with the Patriots. They're with the Cardinals, the Packers, and the Bucks. to me. They would be a much better team. Um, they've also got some injury issues at wide receiver with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. So we'll see what happens there. The lucky thing for the Titans is they're in a bad division where you know they have the Texans and the Jaguars, who are the two worst teams in the AFC. And then they have the Colts. The Colts, who I'm just guaranteeing you right now what is going to happen is Carson Wentz is going to wake up and realize he is Carson Wentz for the rest of the month of December and into January, and they're going to stay out of the playoffs. I just shudder to think what the Indianapolis Colts would have been had Andrew Luck not gotten hurt. So, again, where I kind of think of right now, again, my, you know, I do my little power ratings in the point five Going into, again, I'm holding out on Monday night, but uh, I'm thinking the Patriots will win Monday night. Um, if I had to go through do a power ratings, I would only do four right now. I would do the Cardinals. I would have the Patriots, two. I would have the Packers and the Bucks kind of tied at third. I don't know which one I really like more. I think I like the Bucks a little better as a complete team than I do the Packers. But I like Rodgers over Brady head-to-head if I had to right now. I'm not saying career. I'm saying right now. I think Rodgers is a better player. Um so, I mean, that's where I would be. Those four teams, I think, are the best four teams. So, I um, hope you've enjoyed that. So, I, again, I'm kind of wrapping it up here. We're going to have a little bit of fun here. The last thing I've got for you today, this is the last piece. This is a little bit lighthearted. This is something I know that Kansas City Chiefs fans were watching the, uh, the game tonight and watching uh, Sunday Night Football, and I don't know if this bothers everybody else as much as it bothers me. But 
sports announcing, I'm kind of a geek, and the, the announcers thing means something to me. I love Tony Romo. I think he's doing an incredible job. Um, the one that I'm just pretty much done with is Chris Collinsworth. Now, I actually wrote this one week ago on the 28th. Uh, I was talking to Tyler Jones from the Jones Report about this, and this is an open letter to NBC Sports. This was written by me, Coach Bo Brian O'Connor. Dear NBC Sports, we, the American football viewership, are writing this note to inform you we are sick and tired of Chris Collinsworth. The hyperbole, the constant barrage of outdated pop culture references, the blatant incorrect analysis, and the shitty nonsensical storytelling, and especially the shouting and laughing that add nothing but give viewers a reflex to grab the remote control and change the channel. This motherfucker deserves, and we require, that he be fired immediately. Feel free to replace him with Chris Sims. Chris Sims is already on your payroll. He is a knowledgeable young man, and he has an energy that does not feel forced. Do your viewers a favor and make these necessary changes immediately. Thank you, and fuck Chris Collinsworth. Signed, Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. As you can tell, I'm not a fan of Chris Collinsworth whatsoever. I know NBC is probably going to be replacing him with Drew Brees at some point. That can't happen any sooner than it can. Just get it done and get him off the air. He is just awful. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you've had some fun with me. I hope you let me nerd out a little bit. Thank you for helping me out, letting me do a little bit of nerd out there in the middle. So I want to say thank you to you, the listener. I want to thank Tyler Jones uh, for everything he does over Studio Soapbox behind the scenes, helping us out. He's the one that does all the production, the music you hear, all the breaks, all the other stuff that he does. Who puts it up on the website? That's all, Tyler, man. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Most importantly, thank you to you, the listeners. Listen, we have really been getting some great feedback. I personally just want to thank everybody. Our listenership has gone up every week uh, for the last few weeks, and I can't say thank you enough. I wanted to do this week kind of like a 0.5 pod, uh, kind of doing it solo because what we're also seeing is that we're seeing some more listenership on 0.5. So uh, those of you who usually hear me do the interviews, join us on the 0.5. On the point five, we're going to do a little bit of an interview next week. I'm going to have some fun with that uh, next couple of weeks. So we'll have a little more interview ship on the th Friday pod as well. We're going to kind of mix some things up a little bit. That's the great thing about a podcast is I don't have to stay into a format. It's my show. I can do what I want. Uh, but we'd love your feedback. So if you got a chance, Twitter, Instagram, at Coach Bo Knows Show. I'm going to spell it. Coach Bo, B-O, Knows, K-N-O-W-S. And it's show. Send us your feedback. You can email us, coachbonoshow at gmail.com. I'm actually going to do some listener questions soon. And I do thank you for feedback. I have gotten a few emails that have really been helpful. And let me know what you like, what you don't like. Again, that's where I'm kind of getting that we're having some people who aren't quite liking the interviews as much as they're liking the content on the point five. So we're going to kind of change it up a little bit. We are going to continue with interviews, and I'm going to have a couple of great ones coming up. Uh, we're going to be kind of uh, making those a little special and bringing those on every two to three weeks where the content's going to be a little more, uh, I think, a little more interesting. And also, instead of being so local, they'll be a little more national. So we're excited about some guests coming up in the next few weeks. 
But I think that's how we're going to do that moving forward. So please be patient with us as we make some of these changes. We're still going to continue the format Monday and Friday. You get the regular pod on Monday, the .5 on Friday with my co-host Ellen Wingenter, Token Girl. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun there. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for your listenership. Thank you for allowing me to rant and be a part of your time. I really do appreciate it. And I would love feedback. So thank you so much. If you get a moment, please take a second, review us, rate us. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you, little app you use on your phone to get this podcast, hit us with a five-star review. You have no idea what it means to us. I mean, basically, I said it's on the point five. What it allows us to do is to move up the rankings. People are searching for Coach Bo or they're searching for something sports-related or local for Lawrence, whatever it might be. It helps us with that. And we really, really appreciate that. So thank you for every five-star review. If you don't give us a five-star review, well, keep your fucking opinion to yourself. Until next time, I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. Hey, have a great week. I'm going to challenge everybody to do something nice for somebody this week. It's the holiday season. Do something kind for someone that doesn't cost you a dime. And have some fun. Enjoy. Thank you so much. Have a great week. And we'll see you on Friday for the point five.